Hey, what's up, everybody? My name is LaShawn Thomas, creator of Cannon Busters on Kickstarter, and you're listening to a Toonami Faithful exclusive. Welcome back to the show, everyone. This is Sketch. Uh, with me, we have Paul and Darrell. What's up? What's up, folks? And we are here speaking with LaShawn Thomas. Hey, how you doing? How's it going, everybody? <clears throat> We're good. I'm good. You guys good? I'm not sober. <laughs> well, hold on. Wait a minute. I am sober. Sorry. <laughs> it's like opposite day. Yes, it is. Well, uh, I don't think a lot of people are familiar with you, Sean. Uh, what can you tell the people like what you do for a living? Because I, I don't think a lot of people are uh, really privy to what you do for a living. Um, I, I work in uh, TV animation production. Um, I'm based in uh, Los Angeles, California. I'm from New York, but I'm based in LA, and uh, that's where all the studios are. Um, currently making a lot of the animated TV shows that you know people who watch animated TV shows see. Um, and my, you know, my, uh, you know, I've done a lot of stuff from assistant animation to uh, layout to um, in between uh, storyboard, character design, character design, supervision, direction, um, just kind of pretty much mostly pre and main production work. Um, uh, some of the projects, some of my most notable projects are uh, 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 supervising character designer and um, on the Boondocks animated series. I also served as a co-director on season one um, and supervising character designer on seasons one and two of the Boondocks animated series. Um, I've also worked as a storyboard artist and production artist on Legend of Korra, uh, Nickelodeon, I think that's a spinoff of Avatar The Last Airbender. And then most recently, um, I'm, you know, I'm wrapped up on that show, but most recently, um, I served as a creative producer and a supervising director on season one of Black Dynamite and recently a uh, supervising director on just season two, um, which I think is currently airing on TV right now on Adult Swim, Black Dynamite the animated series. And I, I've done a bunch of other things. I'm supervising character designer for uh, Batman Superman Public Enemies for Warner Brothers. I was a storyboard artist on, uh, that was a director video. And I think storyboard, I was also a story artist on another director video, Green Lantern First Flight. And I was also a storyboard artist on, uh, I believe, season two of Batman, Brave and the Bold, and as well as Ben 10, Alien Force. I've, I've, I've jumped around a little bit, getting, you know, getting a little bit of everything. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's pretty much in the last 10 years, I would say, what I've been up to. That's an extensive resume, sir. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Oh, man, I, I, there's tons of guys in the industry who've worked on far more than, than I have. I just don't think they talk about it much, so it does sound like a lot. <laughs> you know, so... So, um, how did you get your start in the industry? Um, I would say, um, after I graduated high school, um, I got a job, uh, working, I started working at a sporting goods store. I wanted to be a comic book artist after I graduated high school. Um, and then, um, you know, just trying to get my skills up and build my friends and go to comic book conventions and, you know, show your portfolio and all that stuff and meet friends who also want to be comic artists and, um, I was working part-time at a sporting goods store, um, and the manager um, of that sporting goods store um, had saw that I was drawing on the back of these sales tags, and uh, 
you know, one, you're not supposed to do that. And then two, he was like, hey, these, these, these are cool, you know. I didn't know you could draw LaShawn, you know. And I'm like, yeah, you know, you know, I do it on my own time or whatever. And he was like, well, you know, by the way, you know, my wife works at a children's accessories company downtown in Manhattan. And, you know, they're always looking for interns and PAs. You know, if you've got some extra time on the side, you know, I could hook it up. I was like, yeah, sure, why not? You know, I wasn't interested in it, actually, um, because I wanted to be Jim Lee. You know, I didn't want to be working at some children's accessories company, you know. So, but I did it anyway, and uh, I pulled together, you know, the kind of work that I needed. And I didn't have much other than, you know, superhero poses and illustrations and, you know, that kind of stuff. So I put a portfolio together and pitched it. And nobody at the studio could draw. Everyone worked in Adobe Illustrator and, and, and Photoshop and stuff like that. So they didn't really have a need for me. But that contact allowed me to have them reach out to me again, I want to say three months later, and I was able to get an unpaid internship um, working for them. And I would go in on Mondays and Wednesdays. And, you know, the job was, you know, it's like any other internship PA job, you know, you, you know, organizing samples, you know, you're making copies for the talent, the artists there, the designers there, you're ordering their breakfast, lunch, whatever, what have you. And I thought it was cool because, you know, at the time, you know, I was living in the projects in the South Bronx. So for me, I thought it was a good look to have, you know, like a, you know, like a, an office job on my resume, even if it was just PA, you know. So um, I did that for about three months. And then uh, a couple of opportunities happened where they needed some design work for uh, a pitch in California to get the license for the Hercules Disney animated movie that came out in the mid 90s. And. They didn't have anyone who could draw, and they asked me to come up with some ideas based off of um, some 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 ideas that they had, and you know, I knocked them out in this kind of Disney style. And at the time, my style was more super cross-hatching, environmental design techniques. You know, trying to draw like the the style of the times, you know, image comics and, and all that stuff. So, um, you know, doing that gig got me a job as a paid assistant designer. They wind up hiring me because of that. So. For the next three years, I'm, you know, at home trying to draw comic books. And in my day job, I'm, you know, still doing photocopies, <laughs> ordering people's lunch and that kind of thing. But I was, they would also give me, you know, jobs to draw uh, Mickey Mouse or Donald Duck. They had all these licenses from different companies, from Disney, Nickelodeon and all of that stuff. And sometimes they would need, they, what they would do is they would design these all the print backpacks and mini tote bags and stuff like that for little boys and little girls. So... If you ever saw a kid walking around with like, I don't know, an umbrella and it's got an all over Winnie the Pooh print on the umbrella, but the handle that they're holding on to is like a cheap plastic molded umbrella version of Winnie the Pooh. Like I was the guy who would do the turns for that. And then that would get shipped overseas to China. They'd make it and come. So I, like, that's the stuff that I would do. So, you know, working with the official Disney design Bible, working with Nickelodeon's design Bibles, all of these Bibles that these companies sends to these, these independent licensing companies to produce their content, they would have on-staff artists who can kind of copy the style, you know. Sometimes that stuff needed to get certified by Disney. Um, but anyway, the, long, the point of it is that I worked there for three years, and over the time of working at that job, my style started going further away from you know, the cross-hatching style to more animated, simplified style. And at the same time, I'm absorbing anime, you know, I'm, you know, it's, it was a really, really interesting time. So that gig introduced me to a lot of people who were working in flash animation at the turn of the century, turn of the century. That sounded old, right? In 2000, that, that was kind of the precursor to me getting into animation. Cause you know, I didn't go to college for it, you know, and, um, I got a job working for, a freelancer who was doing a web cartoon in the late 90s called World Girl. And um, it was the first like 
flash cartoon of its time, I think in the late 90s, that got picked up by a major network, which was Showtime Online. So I quit my job at that place three years later and started working for this guy, Joel Rogers, who was the animation director who became my mentor. So I started working in flash animation for two years. And then that's when I started storyboarding more, doing character design and so on and so forth. And I think, I'm trying to remember what it was. The producer of that project, that animated show, was also the producer at the time of the pilots for Cow and Chicken and Powerpuff Girls. His name was Buzz Potemkin, I believe. And I'll never forget it. I'm at the I'm at the copy machine making copies for my comic stuff that I'm working on the side. And he's next to me. He goes, hey, LaShawn, so, you know, this is like two years into it. He's like, you know, they had gotten their office, the project gotten big or whatever. And he was like, so what are you going to do when this gig is up? And I'm like, oh, I think I'm probably going to go to college for animation. And he looked at me like I was crazy. He was like, what are you talking about? You're already here, dude. He's like, there are kids in school right now paying $120,000 a year. They're going to be in debt trying to get the same job you have right now. He's like, if you're going to go to college, you need to go to college for something else. You're already in animation. You just need to figure out what it is you want to say and what it is you want to do. Meaning, like, do I want to go into character design or storyboarding or whatever? So that, that perspective, and, you know, rest in peace, he passed away. But that conversation I had with him really really changed my perspective on what the, what does a diploma in animation mean? You know what I'm saying? Like, it was very confusing to me because, you know, I was raised to think that if you don't have a degree in something, you're not very good at it. So um, that, that experience with him catapulted my decision to go independent and to try and just become like an independent artist working at different studios. And even in the back of my head then, I still had this idea like, oh, I'm going to go to college at some point. I'm going to go to school for this or maybe for that or do whatever, whatever. But once you get in the animation industry, and you're good, not even good, if you're just likable, then you just get more gigs that way. So, you know, the whole idea of college became less of a reality and me getting in these studios became more of a constant. So that transition from the mid 90s to the late 2000s kind of got me in a position to be able to have the skills to be able to work on other animated shows. And after that web, after the dot-com boom in 2001 and then 9-11 followed, which kind of shut everything down in New York, I started working for a company called Tape House Tunes. They're not around anymore. They used to do the Saturday Night Live uh, cartoon uh, skits back in like the early, and like in the early, early like late '90s, 2000s. Um, and they also did the animated segments for a Disney show called Lizzie McGuire. And I was an assistant animator on the Lizzie McGuire show, uh, doing the animated segments in New York City. So after that gig, I started doing a couple more freelance gigs for independent animated projects in New York City and I kind of didn't really go anywhere but I built a lot of relationships through that and then right after I was done with Lizzie McGuire and they were deciding to do a movie I just you know I moved on and I said you know what I want to try my hand at comics it's been a while since I tried I've been doing the animation thing for a few years and I started building together this idea for um for com for for a comic book series which later became Cannabuses but I did a short stint with comics for a while I think like three years and then um, a couple years later, I started freelancing for a couple of studios, and then I landed the Boondocks gig. So my, my transition to animation started as an illustrator and then kind of crossed into animation and then jumped back into illustration and then back into, to animation. So sorry, that was kind of long, but that's the first time I had to really think about it. I got sucked yeah. into it, man. It, it's just real interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely, um, definitely proof that there's no... 12-step process to getting into doing what you want to do. You know, you kind of have to uh, strike uh, when the iron hot. Yeah, yeah. You know, strike when the iron's hot. You know, they always that that saying: uh, start where you are, use what you uh, you know, use what you have. You know, do what you can. You know, kind of thing. So that's yeah. kind of kind of been the trajectory for me. So 
And I still think that way. I mean, like everything I've done, you know, to this point is still kind of like, should I, is this a risk? I, well, we'll see what happens kind of situation. I guess that's the case for everybody, you know, so. While let these guys continue asking questions. So I'm curious, what were some of your favorite animated series when you were growing up? Oh man, we'll be here all day. Kidding <laughs> <laughs> me? Like, dude, I grew up. I mean, you know, I'm I'm 39. I grew up in 1975. Thundercats. <laughs> yeah, I grew up in 1975, so I was 10 in '85. So I mean, the golden era for me between I think the golden era for animated television, and at least in the states for me, is between '85 and '95. Like, I mean, you know, uh, that was the first time I. '85 I, I, was. It, it, the first time I started paying attention to production credits at the end of a show on a TV show was Robotech. Robotech was the first show I watched where, you know, I don't know if you guys remember that show, particularly the intro, but it would be this huge Harmony Gold logo, like Harmony Gold presents Robotech, which I, I think originally was considered Macross, right? And I think they kind of edited the original series to be one show called Robotech. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. Oh, yeah. Oh, we, we, oh yeah. We're familiar with Robotech. Oh, okay. okay. Um, yeah, Robotech was the first show that, like, I would have to get up at, like, 6 in the morning and, and, and watch that show. Because that's, you know, before school. Like, that's how early it came on in New York City. I don't know what time it aired and other, you know, what other programs in the States. But Robotech was the first show, like, for me that, like, like made me, like, pay attention to, to animated shows that were not from the States. Because that people were, like, falling in love and dying and stuff. Like, I just never seen anything like that. You know, growing up watching Looney Tunes shows and stuff like that. Like, Robotech was the first show where characters would, like, die and then, like, it wasn't a joke. Like, they didn't come back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and, and, I, and I think that was, that had a profound effect on my idea of, like, what animated TV shows were. And then, you know, obviously you had the Saturday morning run. You know, you had, you know, Thundar the Barbarian, you know, uh, Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends and Humanoids, you know, uh, Mask. Um, my favorite show was Thundercats. Um, that show to me was the first time where they, I, I saw like, uh, the combination of like science fiction fantasy and like furries and like cats. I just thought that show as a, at the time of, that it came out was just, I never could, I never seen anything like it. I thought it was one of the coolest things ever, you know? Um, I watch it now and it's kind of hard to watch, you know, but as a kid, like, I think, I was more infatuated with the concept of it. And that intro, man, was just, it still holds up to that, I think, you know? Oh, yeah. You know, so, what was that? Oh, yeah. yeah. Everybody <laughs> loves the Thundercats intro. I mean, dude, it was, and it was like the core guys were like later on to become members of Studio Ghibli, which was pretty impressive, too. So, um, yeah, it was pretty, pretty, pretty dope. You know, Thundercats, Silverhawks, you know. Bionic. Hell yeah, Silverhawks. <laughs> Dude, I got both volumes, man. Yeah, man. You know, Galaxy Rangers, Bionic 6, like all of that stuff was the stuff that for me as a kid was like, wow, like you had your options. You could watch Beetlejuice, you could watch Munchie Cheese, you could watch, you know, Gem and the Holograms, or you could watch, you know, Galaxy Rangers or Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends or, you know, uh, uh, you know, like, you know, or Jason the Will Warriors or Turbo Team. Like you had a lot of options growing up as a kid and, uh, you know, that was a crazy time for me. Saturday morning was a big deal for me. Like cereal, you know, you had like a whole four hour programming block of just everybody throwing everything in the kitchen sink at the wall. You know, I think that's why there was so many diverse concepts back then, you know, a lot more action adventure, a lot more, you know, right. uh, just, just very, very, um, very risky, uh, uh, ideas, you know, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, another staple in my growing up, like that was a brilliant TV show. 
um, in my opinion, Dungeons and Dragons. And those are the kind of shows that kind of like, I've always kind of had like a secret yearning to come back. You know, we had a few moments in the last 10 years, you know, you had Avatar Last Airbender, brilliant show, Legend of Korra is great. You know, um, uh, even like shows like Motor City recently in Tron, like just very, very daring attempts at doing something new, um, but not too much, you know, so, but growing up as a kid, like those are the kind of shows that, that I was really excited, you know, to, to watch, so. Have you seen the new Thundercats? Uh, I've seen the first season on DVD. I have the first season on DVD. I thought it was cool, you know. Um, I, my, my thing with Thundercats is that it's it's one of those properties where everybody has their own personal memory of it. So I always feel like, <laughs> you know, it, it could have been anybody to, to, to bring that back. And I think you're going to have, you know, people who have different feelings about it. I thought it was pretty cool. You heard, You have people who said that it could have been this way, could have been that way. But I like the idea. I like that the right. I thought the writing was really, really brilliant. I thought they improved on the actual storyline from the original series. But it's one of those shows where I wish it could have gone on longer. You know. Yeah. Yeah. We could be here all day about that one. Yeah, man. Thundercats sure. is it's it's a it's a pretty pretty clever show. It's always it's always challenging when you're trying to de- determine what your target audience is. You know, with, with American broadcasting networks. You know, I, I think I think a show like that would do really well on Netflix. You know, because you're not beholden to, you know, a network bias. You know, and Netflix, for example, you know, they're they're not saying we only want comedies. They got they only care about people paying you know 50 million people paying eight bucks a month. So they're not going to expect you to, you know, um, create a content that catered to a specific audience. You know, I think I think. Thundercats, the new series will have a lot of, lot of, a lot of, a uh, life, you know, well after it, you know, not being canceled, you know, without, excuse me, without, with it being canceled, I think it'll still, it'll still stick around. It's a cool show, well designed, you know, great team, you know, I thought it was cool. Some, some, uh, some really super talents on that project, Dan Norton, Ethan Spaulding, some talented dudes on this show. So. Now, um, with Western animation being somewhat of a limited commodity in the United States, um, do you feel that Cannon Busters would actually feel that hunger that fans are looking for? I would hope so. I mean, you know, I mean, that's the intention. Um, I, I don't think it'll satisfy all audiences because, you know, not everybody is into steampunk fantasy. Um, but I do hope that it caters to its intended audience, which are fans of, you know, a lot of the elements that exist in the story, you know, um, sci-fi fantasy you know action adventure comedy uh uh drama uh you know mechs robots magic you know i think there's a little bit of everything in 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 this project um it it really is a kind of organic love letter to all of the stuff that i grew up you know loving and watching from comics to looking at animation so um you know I'm, i'm hoping that i'm i'm in a i'm in a unique position to 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 produce something that's cure directly from what I like, you know, and what I grew up on. And the response to it has also been very, very mutual. So just based off of the presentation. So, you know, it makes me happy to know that there's a there's an audience, you know, looking forward to this kind of thing, you know, based off of the, the, the pledges that are consistently coming in. So, you know, if anything, my concern is to please, you know, the, the pledges who are, who are backing this thing. So that's my hope. As far as it becoming, you know, the 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 return of, of Western animation. I mean, you know, anything goes at that point. I mean, who's to say, you know, but it would be very cool. You know, it'd be cool to be a part of something like that. So. Now, as you've worked in uh, both the U.S. and Korea, correct? That's correct. So what are some of the differences between working in a U.S. studio and a Korean studio? Um, I, I think 
just based off of my experience working, starting to work at studios in 2004 from Sony and then working at Cartoon Network and then Warner Brothers before moving overseas. Um, I think the most, I think, I think the most glaring difference for me personally in my experience is the fact that with U.S. television shows, at least in my experience, you get to experience the process of pre-production, script writing, you know, voice acting, uh, storyboards, designs, you know, timing, animatics, and so on. And post-production, you know, when the stuff comes back, you know, editing, you know, ADR, uh, mixing, you know, sound effects and music. Um, that's, that's, that's the experience I got in the United States. In Korea, I get the animation experience, like the actual animation production, you know, because we those the shows that I've worked on in the last in between 2004 and 2005, the animators didn't work at Warner Brothers. They all worked in South Korea, subcontracting studios. So being in Korea, being able to, you know, be next to the layout artists and the key animators and the in-betweeners and the compositors and, 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 and so on and working with all those animators and those BG artists and 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 and. and, and it's just a completely different experience. It's, it's kind of like, you know, you know, going from A to C and not experiencing B, you know, or just experiencing B, but not A and C, you know? So I, I think immediately that's the difference being in one part of the production where the people in Korea, the animators and the talent, the community there are not involved in the writing and the scripting and the voice talent, and they're not involved in the mixing and the editing. They're just involved in the art, in the art and then vice versa with the United States. So that's the, that's the, def, that's the immediate difference for me on those shows that I worked on. There are shows here that um, do everything from start to finish. You know, studios like Titmouse do a lot of content um, and Six Point Harness, as well as um, a couple of other independent studios, do everything from start to finish, um, primarily flash animation. But um, yeah, yeah, that's the immediate difference working overseas as far as a production is concerned. Um, I think culturally, um, it, you know, it's, it's at least in my experience, I, you know, I think with the Korean talent, um, there's, there's a strong uh, aversion towards standing out and acknowledging what you've accomplished so far. Like they're very, very shy, you know, about that. No one wants to kind of be the nail sticking out, so to speak. Because um, I'll see an artist be like, oh my God, you're amazing. And they're like, oh no, no, I'm not that good. Are you kidding me? Like that, you know, like very, very humble. Um, whereas in Hollywood, it's a little bit different. In Korea, in my experience, just at the studios I've worked at, it's all rooted in meritocracy. Like you're really, really good. You deserve this position. You're extremely talented. You can't get very far there if you're not talented because there's so many talented people there. In America, it's a little bit different, but I think because it's, it's rooted in commerce. So you don't necessarily have to be extremely talented in order to be treated, you know, with fanfare. You know what I'm saying? If you're generating a lot of money. So I just think the culture is different, in my opinion, working in animation versus this. I, I think amongst the artist culture in, 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 in the United States, on the studios, there is a semblance of that, you know, like, wow, he's the best storyboard artist or so on and so forth. But when you have the, the corporate company there, it's a, it's a different environment. So I don't want to say the term Hollywood because I, I think that's a little derogatory. Um, I just think it's, it's just it's just different. You know, um, you can be you can be as good as Kim Jong-un in, 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 in Korea and everyone's kind of like, OK, cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? Whereas here it's like, oh, my God, he's Jesus Christ with a pencil, you know, like, <laughs> You know, so I, I just, it's just a different experience, you know, um, they're completely different. Um, and it was a, it was a culture shock for me when I came back, oh, you know, right. to the United States, yeah, to come back, you know, being over there for almost three years and then coming back. And I mean, three years of like, 
you know, 68 hour day weeks, you know what I mean? Like sleeping at, at that, sleeping under your drafting table, you know what I mean? Like just putting in a lot of hours, but it sounds like a terrible thing, but everyone has a, there's a, there's a relationship there amongst the artists, you know? Um, and then I came back to the States and it's like very laid back, you know, it's just a different, different, different culture, a different, different, it was different for me, you know? So, um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. All right. Um, Cannon Buster has an array of influences, as you mentioned it, um, in your interview on Kickstarter. Everything from infusion of the hip-hop culture to steampunk. But um, are there any elements that will be, like, you know, more heavily showcased than others? I, I think I think from the moment you see it, at least what, what's been presented so far, it's, it's pretty evident that steampunk fantasy elements are the most prevalent, more so than others. Like, for example, you mentioned... Uh, I look at the question you mentioned, you know, thing like hip hop culture and, 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 and steampunk and so on. And, and, I, and I think I, I do think that the steampunk fantasy RPG element is more prevalent. Clearly, when you see it, um, it's not a hip hop show, but I, I think you'll see the hip hop culture, but it won't be. How do you say on the nose, so to speak, like, for example, like a hip hop influence in the storyline will be a little bit more organic. It will be more subtle um, and it'll be there when it makes sense. You know, um, growing up in New York City, you know, with the culture, you know, it's not really my intent to be forced with the culture, you know. And what I mean by that is, like, it, 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 it'll be in a way where you don't have to say, is that hip-hop? It'll just, like, it, it'll just feel, you'll feel it. Like, it'll be in the music or the fashion sense of some of the characters or the way certain characters speak, you know, that you may identify that with hip-hop culture. Um, it's not going to be, like, it's not just the music, but the spirit of hip hop, so to speak, if I could, if, if you will. And um, you'll see it. And, and and it won't be in the form of the main characters wearing like thick gold chains and carrying boom boxes on their shoulders <laughs> and stuff like that. Or suddenly breaking into a rap song, you know, anything corny like that. It, it it'll be a compliment, not a not a hey look moment. You know what I'm saying? So it'll be very, very, very subtle. Um I, I think I think I think when people watch it, it'll be Wow, this is this is fantasy. This is steampunk. This is western. This is so and so. But the hip hop elements are 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 they're more visual motifs than anything. Not necessarily a you know. There's not going to be a rap song in the main title if we make one. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. So yeah, that's, that's... I, I, I've been I've been I've been listening to hip hop rap music. You know, for as you know, I grew up in the South Bronx. You know, the mecca. So I watched hip hop grow up when I grew up, and everybody interprets it their own way. And you have a very kind of Cliff's Notes version of the interpretation. Um, and then you have like a very subdued version. And I feel like as someone who's responsibly listening to hip hop music for, you know, over 25 years, <laughs> I, 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 th I think that there's a way to be able to, 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 to interpret the culture and not be corny about it. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so. that makes a whole lot of sense, man. Because sometimes when you see the hip hop culture in like certain anime or shows, they is automatically there. But sometimes they make it just seem so corny or stereotypical. Like, yeah, yeah, not 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 less less corny and stereotypical, and, and more and, and more surface is what I mean. You know what I mean? I don't want it to be a surface thing where it's like, okay, what's hip hop? Black guy with a thick gold chain and some and some shoes. That's dope. That was a different time period, though. You know what I'm saying? So I think that hip hop is has evolved, obviously. Yeah, so we done moved past Ron DMC and my ideas. Love them. I, I, you know, like we're in a unique place where we can actually have a period piece for hip hop culture. Like you know, growing up, it's weird to see history change and be a part of that. And I think that, um, you know, it's it's very similar to you know reverse engineered you know European fantasy. Like okay, like 
you know, it's not always castles and kings, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, that's a specific time period, but it's a very popular time period because of history. And so I, I think the same applies for hip hop. It'll be very subdued, you know, um, but it'll be appreciated when you see it. It'll be very organic. That's that's the intent anyway. But mainly it'll be, I think, you know, the the, the concept is fantasy and sci-fi. So it's, that's good. It's good to hear that there'll be subtlety to yeah. the infusion because Subtlety goes a long way now. There's not enough things that are subtle about how they do things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and I think I think because it's it's a hybrid, I, I think it allows it for to have a longer shelf life in terms of, of of intent. You know, like when you when you when you when you label something that's current of the time, it, it, it I think it kind of dates itself pretty quickly. You know, mm -hmm. um, but if you can if you can. If you can incorporate it in a way that that makes sense to the character's personality and the storyline, I think it's something that can have a, a more more lasting uh, impact, you know, appreciation-wise, you know. So, does that make sense? Yeah. It makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah. So, as you've worn many hats in the animation industry, I'm kind of curious. Do you prefer the kind of more laid-back work or more down-in-the-trenches type work? Yeah, I, I like them all for different reasons, you know, like, I, you know, I, I'm still learning, I'm still trying to figure, figure this all out, you know, um, I, you know, the titles make it seem like, you know, oh, this, I've been doing this for a long time, and this is how it works. But the truth of the matter is, like, no, pro, no project is the same, you know, every project is brand new, every project has its challenges and, and, and its issues. And every production is unique, you know, it has its own set of challenges and, and, and so on. So, um, I rely on my basic know-how of what happens in terms of what this comes first and then this comes second, this comes third, but the, the nature of how that comes together is what makes it challenging. So for me, I'm still learning, you know, like I, I've, I've been such a, I've been a production artist for a very long time, you know, me, I don't even know how to word it, me being able to lead more these days than, than, than follow, um, uh, is is unique for me in a way because it's my especially now because it's my own personal project I've never been in that situation before I'm used to leading other people's projects you know so for me um, I, I don't have any I, I, you know I think directing is 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 great because it allows you to be able to manage your expectations and to learn how to work with different people and to kind of come together to work um, uh, as a unit. But as a director, you're dealing with more of the things that artists, you know, uh, who don't have those responsibilities have to worry about. Like, you know, now you're in meetings, now you're in, you know, uh, consumer product meetings. And now, you, you know what I mean? These are the things that are new. And um, it is enjoyable to be able to just storyboard on something. And all you have to do is just focus on your scene, you know, or if you're just character design, you just focus on the character design. So I, I don't really have any, you know, uh, any more than the other, as long as I get to be able to draw and hopefully, hopefully work on stuff that I like, you know, I, I think it, I think it's worth it. You know, it's all about relationships at the end of the day, relationships and getting better as a, as a, as an artist. So I don't really have any preference, you know, more, you know, more than the other. I think, I think they're all, all cool. Like I could, you know, for example, like I could say, Oh, I don't, I don't like the storyboard. I'd rather direct, but then, you know, I have, who knows, I may have a unique opportunity to work on, you know, to storyboard a sequence on a new, you know, Shinichiro Watanabe cartoon. I'm not going to turn that down. You know what I'm saying? Like, if, if the creator of Cowboy Bebop is like, yo, I want you to storyboard the sequence, I'm not going to be like, eh, I hate storyboarding. I don't want to do that. No way I'm going to do that. You know, so I, I think it's, I really, it really depends on, on, on it. I don't, I don't think there's, I don't like anyone more than the other. I appreciate it all. I guess that's the answer I want to give you. I like that. So, 
Yeah, do you feel you have a broader appreciation for all of the elements that go into making an animated series because of your experience in different parts of the process? Without question, without question. I mean, I can't stress that enough. And, you know, I think it's so, I, I think in my experience, I've learned, and I've been a victim of this too, I've learned that it's easier to want things when you don't know what it takes to make it. And you have a lot of times people saying, you know, you're in a situation where someone can go, hey, you know what, why don't we, why don't we just make this? Why don't we just do that? And then when you look back, you go, hey, well, you know, this is due next week. What you want that you just came up with takes three weeks to do. Like, if you knew what it took to make that, you want to make that suggestion. You'd probably make a more creative, you know, way to get that done, you know. And I think that's the difference between making things and then create, calling, you know, calling shots and making decisions and not making things and saying, I want the world, you know. You don't know what it takes to make that stuff. So um, it really depends. But I do agree that knowing as much as you can about the process not only saves you a lot of stress, but it saves you a lot of money because you know where to cut corners and still make things look good. And that can't really happen when you're asking for things from a, from a place of no real reference. You just want it, you know, so. Yeah, basically on the outside looking in. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, you know, so. But, you know, that's how it is, man. I mean, you know, it all works itself works itself out in the end, you know. Um, long after the delayed schedules and you know, the overblown budgets, you know, people are only going to remember 10 years from now if that show was good. No one knows, you know, who was late on Thundercats. They just know that Thundercats is dope. That's a dope show. I really like that. So I think it's all relative. All right. Now, if Cat and Busters can gain more minimum and funding, would you like to see it on Adult Swim at some point? Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think uh, I think if it goes the way I hope it, it goes, yeah, the possibility of it landing on Toonami would, would be a nice feather in the cap. That would be kind of a full circle moment, you know? Um, uh, and it would definitely be, you know, a good way to kind of promote more awareness for the project. You know, uh, Masaaki Yuasa-san, who did Kick Heart last year, you know, his Kickstarter was the one that really jumped it off, I think, for 2D animation and anime, as far as crowdfunding is concerned. His being funded kind of catapulted everyone else to kind of jump on and say, wow, you know, there's an audience for this stuff to get made. Um, he did his and, you know, it got, it got a special screening on Toonami. And I thought that was very cool, you know, to see the, his was the first crowdfunded animated project from Kickstarter to be broadcast on a, on a, you know, on a, on a television network. And I thought that was pretty inspiring. So, you know, if it happens for Cannabuses, that'd be great. You know, um, the ultimate goal is obviously to go to series, um, and not be limited to the timeline, the time frame. It's something that anyone can get a hold of, you know? So, but yeah, I think it would be great. You know, if it was on tsunami, you know, to be definitely be a, a old snap moment, you know. <laughs> yeah, because you know, thing is, we talk about it. We's like, we need more Western cartoons. You know, Paul is the Western cartoon person in the first place. You know, <laughs> but I, no, but we still like it all though. We support everybody. Yeah, I support it too. You know, I, I've worked on a lot of comedies. You know, in my time and uh, a lot of a lot of uh, kid content. You know, adult content, adult comedy shows. Um, and I think there's I think there's room for all of it. I just think that um, we're we're in a climate right now where you know the influence is to kind of you know do what sells. And I totally get that because you know this is commercial art for a reason. You know the root word being commerce. People got to make money. It's not just just making cartoons to be fun. Um, and I think that kind of drives the direction, especially these companies who have millions of dollars they're investing. You know to want to you know make sure they have a guarantee before they invest in things. And I understand that business part of it. So for me, I can't play consumer and act like, well, why aren't they doing that? You know, I, I 
having worked in the industry, I do know some of the politics of why these decisions are made. And, you know, I have to look at both sides, but there has to be someone trying to make stuff also, you know, and I don't want to get to a point where the climate of the industry, as far as networks are concerned, are influencing my creativity. You know, I'd rather, you know, jump out the jump out the plane without a parachute and figure out a way to land, you know, than to just kind of, you know, play it safe and, you know, do another family guy, you know, no disrespect to that. I love that show. So um, I think it's about, you know, trying to, you know, create something different and not necessarily different, but just, you know, throw your hat in the pot and see what happens. And I think Kickstarter more than any other platform in the last five years has, has allowed independent guys like me, you know, to take that risk. So I'm grateful. A lot of the people that uh, you have a whole lot of talented people working on Cannon Busters. So did you basically meet most of these people through your career working on various projects at other Correct. studios? Correct. You know, I met Joe Matarera. Um, for those out there who don't know who he is, he's a he's one of the most influential uh, artists in, in the 20th century, I mean, in my opinion. Um, uh, you know, he pretty much introduced, he made it okay for you to do manga anime style in Western comic books as far as mainstream is concerned in my opinion. And then you have, obviously, you know, Fred Dunn and, and Fred Perry. Shout out to those cats. I mean, Ben Dunn, sorry, Ninja High School and Fred Perry from Gold Digger. Those guys were doing it too, but Joe Matt put it on a, on a platform with, with, with the mainstream comics. Uh, and then he created Battle Chasers, which again kind of created the resurgence of, you know, fantasy comic books. And uh, uh, he's, he's a guy that I grew up admiring during that period. Um, we're around the same age. So, you know, uh, I consider him one of my idols as well as my peers and my, you know, my rivals <laughs> growing up. And over the years, I think as we got older, we started to recognize each other's work. And then we eventually reached out to each other and just kind of had a kind of budding relationship online and, you know, in person and just kind of, uh, just kind of, you know, stayed in touch with each other. And, um, you know, he, uh, I, you know, when I got back from Korea, you know, I showed him, you know, some of the stuff I was working on for Cannon Busters. I was working at Tipnos at the time. Uh, you know, as a creative producer and um, a supervising director on Black Dynamite season one. And, you know, he came by the studio to visit and I showed him some of the stuff I was working on. And he was like, man, this stuff is so dope. Like, I would love to see this on TV. And I'm like, yeah, me too. You know, so we just kind of stayed in touch. So when, when I decided to do the Kickstarter in January, it was just kind of an organic scenario where I was just like, yo, dude, like, what do you think about, you know, doing some character designs for this? And he was like, what? I've never worked in animation before. Dude, like, let's do it. I'm like, all right, bet. And that's how that whole thing went down. So he came on board. Tim Yoon, the uh, consulting producer, he's a he's a brilliant, brilliant mind. He was a line producer for Legend of Korra, seasons one and two. Um, he produced uh, Miss Atomic Bomb, uh, the Killers video. Um, he was also the animation producer for um, the Little Wayne versus Drake tour campaign. So he has a lot of experience and we met during book one when I visited back home after moving to Korea and we just kind of stayed in touch, you know? Um, so when this project came, you know, I, I needed someone who, who who had a lot of experience, you know, working outside of animation um, and working on diverse projects. And he was the first guy I called and, you know, he was more than excited to be able to contribute. So he came on board. Thomas Romaine, that story is really interesting. Um, Thomas Romaine is also a really talented guy He's from France. He is the, uh, most recent work is a mecha designer for Space Dandy. He designed the Aloha Oi spaceship and um, on that show, um, which is one of my favorite shows, by the way. Um, he's also a co-creator of Code Lyoko, um, Basquash. Um, and he also, uh, what else did he do um, more notably? He did, um, oh, he was the uh, 
co-director and character designer of Oban Star Racers, which is another one of my favorite shows. And I learned about Thomas about six years ago. I bought the Oban Star Racers DVD because I thought it was just so unique. It didn't look like a Japanese animated show. I couldn't tell if it was Japanese or French. You know, I just thought it looked really cool. The characters had no noses. It's just a really, really cute, unique looking show. I bought the DVD and the DVD came with this making of. Of, of it was a two-parter the first part was on one dvd and the second part was on the second half of the season dvd and um it was just the making of oban star racers and i had never seen anything like it before it was pretty much these guys were the first guys to do like a european japanese co-production between south the world productions and um and how filmmaker animation studio in japan and it was an entire documentary of these french dudes who didn't know japanese <laughs> <laughs> moving into this studio with these Japanese guys, these animators, and they're just all like trying to work together to make a cartoon for the first time. And I was just like, yo, this is crazy. Like, I didn't know you could just go overseas and just work with people. I mean, I know there's methods, you know, and connects and stuff, but I just thought it was so inspiring. And Thomas Romain was, when I saw him, he was really young, you know, at the time. He had recently graduated, you know, Goblin's uh, school in France, one of the nastiest animation schools in the world. And and a bunch of his uh, colleagues who also were at Goblins. And, you know, it was just interesting to, to, to meet this guy. And then later in the news, I learned that he had stayed in Japan after he'd worked on uh, Oban Star Races and started working for Satellite. So I was aware of Thomas Romain mainly because I'd watched that documentary more times than I watched the actual show. Because I was just, I would play that documentary while I worked at Warner Brothers. Because that's how, like, motivated and inspirational it was. It just kind of get me motivated to work. You know, you watch an animator's draw and stuff. So fast forward, you know, six years later. Um, Thomas reaches out to me on 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 Twitter, and he's just basically I can't paraphrase him, but he was basically saying, "Hey, I saw your TEDx talks uh, in Korea, and I just thought it was really cool. Um, you know, me and you are alike. I had the same situation. I left France to go to Japan because I wanted to work with the system over there and work in animation." And I was, you know, I knew who this guy was, so I was super humbled that he reached out, and then we just kind of had like a you know correspondence back and forth. Uh, through direct message on Twitter for a span of like three months. And then, um, you know, eventually, you know, I, I, I at that point I knew I was going to try and do, you know, Cannon Buses as a Kickstarter. And I said, you know, and he's working on, he was working on Space. Space Dandy was the hype at the time, you know. So I was, I can't believe I'm talking to the mega designer of Space Dandy like on the regular like that. Like I love that show. Like maybe if I, you know, wonder how much he charges to do some mech designs, you know, and I had a budget on me, you know, so. I reached out to him and I said, hey, man, you know, I don't know what you're doing, but I got this project and I would love to, you know, hire you to do some designs for it. And at the time, he was a Satellite Inc. He still is a Satellite Inc. employee, so I can't do business with him as a freelancer. He, if I work with him, I'm working with Satellite. So an opportunity came up where I had to, I had an opportunity to go to Japan in, in, um, in July of this year. And, you know, while I was out there, I met up with them and, you know, we got the talking and exchanging ideas with the satellite staff and you know next thing you know you know we're collaborating on this project so that's how i met thomas um uh that's how i met thomas joe and tim yoon um and how i started working with satellite and i met Bahi jd um on on deviantart i mean the guy's young i mean when i met him like five six years ago he was like in his teens you know just doing gif animations so i recognized him you know, collab, you know, going back and forth with him online whenever I post work or whenever he would post work. So we just kind of knew each other via internet, you know what I mean? Um, so lo and behold, five years later, he winds up blossoming into one of the most exciting new up-and-coming 2D animators, you know, um, working on Space Dandy and Ping Pong and, you know, Kids on a Slope and, 
you know, Ghost in the Shell Arise now, he's working on that as an animator. So we started exchanging dialogue online as well, staying more in touch. And I say, hey, man, you know, I got this project. Would you be interested in helping me, you know, work on this? I'm working with Satellite. And he was like, yeah, I'd love to. You know, I know Thomas Romain. I know all of those guys. So that's kind of how the project kind of came together. It was a very organic relationship from old relationships. You know what I mean? And it was just, you know, kind of perfect timing for me to be like, hey, I got this thing popping off. Check it out. What do you think? They're like, oh, this is cool. All right. I'll be down, you know, and then, that, you know, it's like anything, you know, it's like a band, you know, you got a bunch of dudes, you got a guy who's good at bass, another guy who's good at drums, right? And you just like, yo, let's, let's, let's do some. And then you put a demo together and people like it. And then that's how it pops off. So it's kind of the same thing. Very organic. Wow. That, that just blew me away. Um, by the way, can I like cop that Oban man? <laughs> you can still find it online i think you can buy it yeah it's still online man it's on, yeah i don't know i don't know if it's on uh, itunes but um yeah but Oban is great it's a great show i really like it i thought it was unique unique for yeah, his time yeah. and uh very inspirational show what advice would you give the future animators and comic book artists who want to break into the industry to do this for a living because you know pretty much talking to you now from your experience you know it's not an easy road to travel considering how competitive it can be though yeah you know that's a good question you know i, I it's a question i get quite often and i always wind up having different answers because um you know I, the, the the term the term breaking in has always for me changed over the years you know i Breaking in to me when I was a kid was, you know, there was this giant corporation where there was no way you can get to an artist unless you went through a, a company or a publisher who had the access to getting the people. This was before the Internet existed. So breaking in was actually getting into the establishment, getting in and being a part of that community, because I don't like to say industry, uh, the community, the artistic community that's creating this content for these companies um, and reaching out to the public through, you know, these companies, you know, distribution access. Um, but now with the internet, I mean, I, I mean, breaking in where? Like, you can post up your own YouTube page. You can post up your own web comics. You can find your audience. Your audience can find you. So I, I think that I think I think the idea of breaking in is kind of splintered a little bit. It's changed. It's more about which studio or which comic book publisher do I want to work for, as opposed to saying breaking into the community. Because you can create your own community. I mean, as you guys have seen it in the last five to ten years, you got guys coming out of nowhere getting, you know two, three million viewers a day, and they're not going to, they're not trying to break in, you know what I mean? So uh, I think as for, for artists, if, if you're trying to break into a studio, so to speak, there are certain ways to go about it. Um, but if you want to just animate, you can just animate. There's no one's stopping you, you know, make something, put it online, see what people think. There are tons of avenues to, to, to get your work out there. You know, it's the same thing with, you know, these companies, you know, like the people who do Kick Hard and Urbance and, 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 and Under the Dog, these guys, you look at their resumes, they've been working for the, the, the industry, the business for a while. Like they've got massive credentials under their belt and they're still going to Kickstarter. And that kind of gives you a hint of like, you, you, you can work for the big companies or you can do your own thing. And I think it's more easier now today than ever to be able to do your own thing and find a market if, if, if you're putting something out there that people like. I think if you want to work for the studios, for younger kids, I think one of the biggest issues that I run into when, when, when younger talented artists come to me and say, you know, ask for advice, they always say, you know, uh, I want to do what you do, or I want to be where you're at. And those aren't like, I kind of judge them based off of those kind of questions. Like, that's not a real, like, if you're really working, like, you're not asking those questions, in my opinion. I, I think if you're like really hustling, you've got a Tumblr that 
I'm on for like five hours. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> why hasn't this person gotten work yet? Maybe he's he's got the skills. He just maybe needs, you know, a connection. You know what I mean? And I, and I think that content is king. So if you're not creating any content, especially in a visual medium, you know, everything else is just tutorials and questions and having the opportunity and the access to asking your favorite artists to tell you something to boost your ego for five minutes. But then at the end of the day, you still got to stare at the drafting table and put in the work. So I think my advice to young kids is to actually have stuff to show. Also practical know-how, practical knowledge, like or practical advice would be, okay, if you want to work in an animation studio, what do you want to do? You know, do you want to do storyboards? Do you want to do character designs? Um, do you want to animate? You know, if you want to storyboard and do character designs, um, the first thing they have to know is they need to have storyboards and character designs <laughs> in their portfolio. Like, again, you have to put in the work, have something to show. Once you have something to show, then you go and figure out, okay, well, what's your favorite show? You know, and they go, oh, I love Legend of Korra. Or, oh, I love Steven Universe. Or, oh, I love Adventure Time. And I go, well, you know, if those are the shows you like, and that's the kind of content you want to make, then you need to figure out which studio produces those shows and then find out where that studio is located, find out their website, and then find out how to submit to them and then submit that content to them. That's the best way to kind of single out your trajectory. Because I think there's still kind of a genuine misunderstanding about how to how to get at these studios and i don't know if it's i don't know if the if this these, these colleges that these kids are coming from don't aren't, aren't educating them on it. i'm not entirely sure but there's still there's something preventing these kids with the advent of the internet and all this technology that we have for them to be clueless still you know what i'm saying so um i i do think that focusing on what it is you want i think the other thing that kids don't understand too that they need to know is that animation production is a team effort it's compartmentalized you can do it all yourself, but you're gonna be doing it yourself for a long time. If you wanna work on a show, you have to understand that there's a job position for storyboarding. There's a job position for backgrounds. There's a job position for props and there's a job position for character design. And those positions require different skill sets. You know, some people aren't very good at drawing people, but they're great at the technical stuff. So they eventually become, you know, prop designers drawing cars and guns and that kind of stuff, you know. Um, whereas it's vice versa, some people aren't very good at props and guns and you know they draw people and then there's some people who are just the rare who can do everything you know so I, I think that because of that kids come to me and they go I say well what do you want to do I want to do everything like they're trying to impress me I'm like I'm not like animation doesn't work that way there's no job for everything in television animation production and if there is it's not a union job <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying like they're gonna have you do everything you know that's illegal <laughs> you know what I mean like you work in 80 hours a week whatever you know so, you know, most of these jobs are union jobs. So there's a, you don't, not to be so hasty to, to try and press and say you want to do everything. Uh, and, and I haven't, you're not good at everything, but you want to do everything. You can eventually do all the things you want, but you have to get in first somehow. So what is your strength? What do you like to do most? Well, I like to do character design. Well, then you should just focus on character design. Character design and animation for TV is the most common job people want. They call it the champagne job. And it's because as children, even when we're in kindergarten, we're character designers. We're doing the lineups, right? We're doing our mom, our dad, our sister, our brother, and the little son in the corner, right? So, <laughs> you know, like we're all we're already doing that as kids. So that 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 usually is, you know, and it's all it, it also leads to portrait work and, and interpreting, you know, life and people and stuff like that. So character design is usually the common common job, you know, for most artists starting out. Um, it's also the, 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 the character is the most is the mo one of the most important things because it's the one thing in, in the cartoon that's kind of 
on the screen for the entire time, leading the, the, the reader and the audience into the storyline, you know? So it's, it's a very attractive job to say, it's very attractive to say, yeah, you see that character? I designed that, you know? So there's a lot of that happening. But I think that if you're a character designer, you want to be a storyboard artist, you have to choose one. And if you choose to be a storyboard artist and then you want to do character design someday, once you get your foot in the door as a storyboard artist, guess what? You'll be surrounded by character designers because they all have those jobs there. And then you can take your samples to those character designers and go, hey, check this out. What do you think? And that's how you kind of eventually get your way around. You have to get in doing one thing if you're trying to go to a studio. And then once you're in there, you can use your you know relationship building skills to be able to get a couple of tips from people in other departments. I think that's the best way to go about it. Was that too long? I'm sorry. No, dude, you're right pretty much because, you know, being a college graduate, I'll tell most people, college pretty much teaches you how to work for somebody else. But the thing is, if you really want to get out there, like you said, you have to start doing it on your own. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I agree. I, I think I think I don't I, I don't I don't see anything wrong with schooling. I just think the term schooling to me is abstract. You know, because you don't need to be in an organized institution to be able to learn. But I do believe that everybody learns differently. Some people need to be told. Some people can just read something and learn it. Some people can hear it once and say, I got it. And other people, you need to kind of be hands on. So everybody learns differently. And to be extra honest, man, like if I had an opportunity to go to college, I probably would have gone because that's how much I love drawing and being in an environment where I can create. It's just my life trajectory went a different way. You know, there's no 12-step program to how I got to where I am. It's all just, you know, me, you know, taking a chance and, you know, it worked out for me in some cases, it didn't in others, you know, but that's life, you know. So I think I think it really comes down to the individual and how bad they want it. Um, and I think that's the most important thing, so. You know, it's different paths to success and, you know, the way you came about doing yours, man, your success came the way you took it, man. You came straight out of high school and you managed to grow within the industry. So, hey, just because you took that road doesn't mean it works for the, the next person, but it's just there. It's like it's a different path for everybody, so everybody yeah. has a different journey. I agree. I, I mean, the other thing for these, for these young artists, man, it's, you know, um, it's hard. It's a lot of hard work. It's hard. It's stressful. It's depressing. It's uh, seeing you. It's, it's like self-deprecating to see yourself beat yourself up into becoming a better artist. You know what I mean? Like you, you're whack for a very long time. You're not good for a very long time. It takes a long time to be highly skilled at something, anything. And if, and if you can get skilled at it right away, it's probably not worth learning. You know what I mean? And I, and I think that a lot of the young generation today are so infatuated with finish, they don't see a lot of the effort that goes behind it. So it's hard for them to see themselves fail, you know what I mean? Or draw poorly, you know what I'm saying? They're so used to seeing the stuff that they want to do, but they're not seeing the effort of what, you know, of what goes behind it, you know? So it's, it's really important for, 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 I think, for a lot of young kids to, to, to accept that fact that you're not going to be good for a while. And if you're patient with yourself and, and, and you stay on top of your, your, your drawing every day, um, you'll get better. Um, and I'll be honest, I, I can't speak for anyone else, but if you look at anyone who's exceptionally talented, particularly in drawing, they probably don't have a very strong social life. And if they do, their social life is, is recent. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> or, or they've had, or they've had a, a circle of cats that they, they came up with. You know, it's, it's, it, what we do is stationary. We're by ourselves a long period of time. And for you to get really good at it, you have to spend a lot of time at it, which means you're going to be by yourself a lot. You know, there's been plenty of nights where, you know, there's a park jam happening 
you know, and my local homies are spinning, you know, in the basketball court and I'm not going outside. I'm staying in working on my, my comic pages. You know, my friends want to go hang out. Nah, I'm staying inside. Like there's a lot of that, you know, and it's, it's a solitary, you know, lifestyle to have. And, you know, that's part of the reason why I think I enjoy the animation industry so much because it is such a social environment, you know, cause it can get depressing when you're by yourself for long periods of time. I'm, I can, there's plenty of comic book artists out right now, right out there right now that who's probably can agree with me, not in their head. Like, man, I'm so glad I went to that comic convention. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've been doing this comic for five months and I, now it's comic con time. I get to have beer. I get to see another artist I haven't seen in a year. And, you know, I'm interacting with talent and, you know, it's, it's a very, very uh, isolating uh, occupation. And, you know, it's, 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 it's something that, you know, they have to be mindful of, you know, long hours and uh, a lot of hard work, but it's worth it, I think. Um, in, in other words, people, what LaShawn is telling you, you have to pay your dues. Hey, man, you know, sometimes people's entire lives is, is, is intent to pay dues, you know, and I, that's another, you know, sometimes things don't make sense, and that's just it, you know, but I agree, you do have to, you have to put in the work, and, 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 and the era that I came up in, you know, is completely different than this era now. It's way easier to connect with people now than, 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 than I did. You know, if I wanted to find my favorite artist, I had to, you know, buy his comic book from the local corner store, the bodega, at like 75 cents. Like, that was my connection to, you know, a Jim Lee or, or a Rob Layfield or whatever, you know. Like, I couldn't just, you know, sit in my apartment in my underwear eating my cereal and going on, on his page and saying, yeah, you suck, dude. I don't like that. <laughs> you know, like that's the kids. It's very different today. It's a very unique, different experience. You know, like if I wanted to reach out to Jim Lee, if I, if I saw, you know, I saw a Punisher War Journal by Jim Lee. The first issue is the first time I seen Jim Lee's work. I went to the back. I looked at the address because I need to write a letter. You know, they only let like five or six letters in that column. Right. So <laughs> you know, I had to handwrite a letter and mail it out. You know, like it's, it's completely different now. So I, I think that, there's there's a lot of of, of 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 advantages today as as a young person who wants to be an artist and artists are connecting at an alarming rate more than any other time in history and I haven't been along very long to I haven't been alive very long to to know that we're connecting as artists in a way unprecedented I mean you can look at a guy's work in Sweden and be like hey that's dope and he'll be like oh thanks and then that's it you know thousands of miles between each other so it's a very very different time so I, I tell kids to utilize you know, the tools that they have. And um, it's hard, you know, they take it for granted. I took radios for granted. I took Walkman for granted. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you ain't talking about with the cassette tape. Is it, man? Yeah, I took Walkman and CD and, and discs, man, for granted. Like, you know, like my parents are like, what, what, this is crazy. What is this? You know what I mean? And I'm like, eh, it's whatever, you know, and I think kids see the internet the same way. It's like, eh, you know, so it all comes down to drive. You really want it, you know, you put, you put your effort into it. Amen, brother. Amen. Uh, I guess this is the best point to pretty much give you the floor and tell people why they should uh, contribute to uh, Cannon Buster's Kickstarter. You know, the reason why I went to Kickstarter was because of some of the things I mentioned earlier. You know, um, growing up as a kid, uh, being a fan of, of animated shows and action adventure shows, um, it was something that, you know, brought a lot of excitement and, 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 and imagination. Um, and I feel like a project like this is something that I think it's important for people to have dreams. I think it's important for people to, to pursue passions. And I know there aren't a lot of opportunities, you know, for animation artists in general coming up in the past than they are now. And I think um, as, as the economy starts to steer the industry 
um, into a direction where uh, they're uh, more risk averse towards new ideas, I think it's important for you know, the younger generation to be able to see that there are alternatives to what's going on out there. And I think that, you know, if you pledge to a project like Cannon Buses, you know, I can contribute to, you know, the many things that not, not say I, but we as a team can contribute to, you know, what's kind of been missing in, in, in the market for the last few years. Um, and I think it's eventually going to come back. You know, there's always a saying amongst the industry that, you know, action adventures is cyclical. It'll come back at some point. But, you know, it would be great to be able to kind of jumpstart that a little bit. And I think Cannabuses has the potential to do that. And if you're a fan of, you know, anime genre, American animation, uh, Western genre, uh, RPGs, fantasy, comedy, adventure, you know, drama in uh, a 2D animated series, I think I think a project like Cannabuses is up your alley. So I hope you come out and support. Um, if you can't pledge, uh, signal boost, spread the word to, so, to some of those who you think may be able to uh, pledge or signal boost and so on. And um, I think it'll be worth your while. So thanks for listening, guys. Uh, no problem. And um, where can they uh, contribute money if they if people want to contribute to the Kickstarter? Several different ways. You can go to google.com and Google Kickstarter. It's, I think it's one of the, um, if you Google Cannon Busters, you'll be able to uh, get a bunch of different, um, different links to it. But you can go the normal way. You can just go to kickstarterprojects.com. Uh, oh, wow. This is a long one. It's kickstarter.com projects, <laughs> Cannon Buses, the animated series. So link on that. <laughs> um, Thank you, Jarrell. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, no, I, I just looked at it on my face. I looked at it on the webpage. I was like, wait a minute. I've never even saw this. <laughs> <laughs> Look here. When I saw it, I was literally going to um, send you an email that actually did you want to do the podcast. I was like, I was like, I was like. <laughs> I heard I heard a, a Skype sound. I was like, "What the hell was that?" I click. I'm like, "Oh, they sent me the link. I gotta repeat." <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious, hysterical. Yeah, Kickstarter.com projects. Cannon Buses the animated series. Look it up. You should be able to find it. Yeah, and and again, you know, I want to thank you guys, Paul, and 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 everyone else for like, you know, taking this time to talk to me. You know, it's the first time I'm like actually speaking about this project. You know, openly, um, where I'm not like doing more than one take. So. Um, it's, 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 it's appreciative and I, and I really appreciate you guys' interest in, in a project like this. And I hope, you know, if we reach our goal, you know, it'll be something you guys can see and, you know, perhaps we can talk about it in the future. Oh, oh don't you worry. <laughs> don't feel bad, man. Payday coming up, dude. So I'm going to go ahead and, you know, get some. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I appreciate it. All right, by the way, if we, if we do help you get the show on, do, do we get dibs on first, you know? <laughs> Hey man, you know, I I, I think it I I, I think it needs, there's going to be a lot of news uh, coming up. There's a couple of things coming up that you know I want I, I'm excited to mention this week, um, and we'll be keeping everybody posted on what's going on. So you guys won't be in the dark about any of this stuff. You know, should we reach our goal, it'll be very uh, it'll be very interesting in the next few months. All right. So you know, basically, people, you know, you know, heard about Cannon Busters, and we believe in HBO. Help a brother out. So start getting the kids on the website and help this man out, please. Twenty three days to go. It's Thanksgiving, man. I'm thankful that he came on this podcast. You know, we we got we're at a at the moment we're at sixty seven thousand at twenty three days to go, um, and it's exciting. But you know, we've got a ways to go. So hopefully, you know, it's a marathon. You know, we take it day by day, and you know, if we're fortunate, we'll be able to achieve our goal and and be able to back up, you know, a lot of the things that we're saying about it. Um, I think it'll be a good time. And uh, real quick, where can they find you? Twitter, Facebook? You can find me at LaShawnThomas on Twitter.com. 
Well, uh, thank you for coming on the show, LaShawn. We really appreciate you coming on. And I'm sure the Tsunami Faithful will be very happy to, to help you with this show. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. It, it means a lot. And, 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 and I think that I, I, I don't, I'm not alone in, 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 in the desire to see more, uh, more diverse content coming out of the West. I think, you know, it's only right. We started it. I think we should kind of try and maintain, maintain the tradition and put out some stuff that, you know, kids don't have to torrent from another country. <laughs> Amen, brother. Oh, yeah. those torrents. That's the best plan. All right, guys. Appreciate it.